Good morning. My name is Debbie, and I'm a member here at McLean. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 31, beginning with verse 1. This morning is the eighth message in our series, The Gospel and the Life of David. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, And those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan. And they came to Jabesh, and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning and welcome again to McLean Presbyterian. My name is James and it's my privilege week by week to be here with you to open up the word of God and learn more about his love for us and its implications for our lives. So whether you're here in our sanctuary, worshiping in our fellowship hall, or even online, we have been praying that this time will be helpful, that it will be an encouragement to all of our souls. So before we dive into 1 Samuel 31, let's bow our heads and pray again. Father, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You haven't just revealed a little bit to us. You haven't just given us glimpses or kind of a a vague understanding of your love toward us and its implications for our lives, but you have revealed yourself to us in a very full way. You have told us everything that we need to know to be saved and then to follow you joyfully here on earth. And so, Lord, you even address the hard topics, the challenging topics, perhaps the awkward topics like suicide. So would you come, Lord, in these moments, and would you be our teacher? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you'd known Matthew Wireman, you would never have guessed that, that he was suicidal. Uh, he'd worked hard to have a polished smile. He'd worked hard to make sure that he always laughed on cue. But behind that mask were dark thoughts and even plans for how he would then take his life. When he became a Christian, he thought that those struggles might somehow be behind him, but it didn't take long, just a matter of months, before he started fighting these demons again. And now, with an added layer of of kind of religious guilt, you know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith that I still struggle like this? Why is it that death so often seems better, more appealing even than life? Suicide is an uncomfortable topic, but one that most, if not all of us, will have to deal with at some point in our lives. Perhaps you know the struggle firsthand. You've heard these dark whispers. Perhaps you've even attempted to take your own life. Or perhaps you've lost a loved one to suicide. My my own family has. Perhaps you've wrestled with that misplaced guilt. You wonder, is there more I could have done? Is there something I I should have done to to love this loved one well? Perhaps you've had a a child who's attempted to take their own life, and you're so grateful to have them, but it's still the thing that makes you most terrified, that they might then they might try again. Perhaps you don't have direct experience on this topic, but you've, you've wondered what to think when the topic comes up, much less what you would say to someone who was wrestling with it. Well, as a church seeking to follow the Word of God, we don't shy away from hard topics like this. We don't shy away from hard topics like this. And hear me, friends, and especially hear me, you teens, on this. You can bring any challenge, any problem any concern to this church. Hey, we won't always have the answers, but we're prepared to walk with you through any question. And this morning, the Word of God, which is sufficient for our lives, addresses this hard topic of suicide. So we're going to wrestle with it together, and I think, hope, we will see the grace that God's Word provides. We'll look briefly at the story, then several applications for our lives. Look with me, if you would, at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 31. Our chapter begins in the middle of the movie. War has broken out between Israel and the Philistines, and in verse 1, we find ourselves in the middle of a bloody battle. Fierce fighting is raging all around. And at the very beginning of the chapter, in this very first verse, we get a a terse summary of all that will follow. This is actually a a, a mark of uh, Old Testament narrative. You get a very terse summary of what's going to happen, and then you walk through the details. The terse summary comes when we read that the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. We already know how this nightmare of a chapter ends, but now we have to walk through the grisly details. First, we get to verse 2, and we read about Saul's sons. See it there? The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. Ah, Saul's boys. Saul's own flesh and blood reduced to no more than flesh and blood by the Philistine swords. Special attention is given to Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, David's beloved friend. 
He gives his blood for Saul as he gave his kingship to David. He is as loyal in death as he was in life. As Jonathan breathes his last, he is the one who, having laid aside the kingdom he cannot keep, enters the kingdom he cannot lose. But that transition is a painful one. Then after reading of Saul's boys, we read about Saul himself. Look at verse 3. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. We imagine Saul's position in this battle weakens and then disintegrates as the whole thing implodes on top of him. The gleeful Philistine archers spot him. They take their shot, and verse 4, sensing imminent capture and the dishonor of falling into Philistine hands, Saul takes matters into his own hands. First of all, he begs his armor bearer to, to run him armor bearer to, to run him through. When his armor bearer rightly refuses, Saul takes out his own sword, pulls it from its sheath, lines it up carefully, then falls upon the naked blade. Verse five confirms that the king is dead, killed by his own hand. Three lessons for our own day, for our own time. First of all, sobering thought, suicide happens when we confront pain that seems worse than death. Suicide happens when we confront pain that seems worse than death. That's what happens here to Saul in verse 4. He asks his armor bearer to run him through. Why? Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Now, it's important for for us to understand that for Saul, the main issue, the primary concern, the thing that he's worried about isn't actually pain and death. Yes, we know, and he knew, that the Philistines are are a savage lot. In fact, as we read in the rest of the chapter, denied their opportunity to kill him, they'll still decapitate his body and then hammer it up to the walls of a local town. It's not that that would be a small thing to fall into their hands. But pain and death are not Saul's primary concern. In a moment, he'll inflict pain and death upon himself. No, the key word there is the word uncircumcised. Did you see it? Saul's primary concern, the main issue for him, has to do with honor. He doesn't want his life to end at the hands of these uncircumcised men, these unclean, irreligious, godless men. It's not that he's afraid of dying, it's that he can't bear the dishonor of death by Philistine. To him, the pain of dishonor is worse than death, and so he takes his, he takes his life. And that, that same principle is what drives suicide today. Suicide happens when we confront pain that seems worse than death. So we remember after the global economic crash of 2008 that there was a string of suicides that followed. The acting CFO of Freddie Mac hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good shot himself behind the wheel of his Jaguar. A money manager who lost billion in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, slid his wrists in his Madison Avenue office. To them, the pain of, of professional failure and the shame that came with that was worse than death, and so they took their lives. Or we remember, and don't we remember with compassion, Brittany Maynard, 
Remember her? Uh, came to prominence, was all over the news, and as a young woman in her 20s, she developed a, a really aggressive, vicious form of, of brain cancer. When all the treatments failed, she found herself staring down the barrel of a terminal diagnosis, and she sh so she fought for the right to end her life, and, and in fact did. For her, the pain of physical suffering was worse than death, and so she took her life. Or I think of a young man called Robert Enke. Uh, he was an international uh, soccer star when he jumped in front of a train. Uh, in the investigation that followed, it was discovered that he had wrestled for a long time with, with depression. And for him, the pain of emotional suffering seemed worse than death, and so he took his own life. Whether it's tragic circumstances or physical pain or mental illness, suicide happens when we confront a pain that seems worse than death. And what a terrible place to find yourself. What a terrible place for you to find yourself. Those who you, who've been there know, and those of us who haven't been there can, can only imagine how terrible it is to find yourself in that place. And if you have found yourself there, you should feel no shame. This truth makes us feel great compassion for those who find themselves in these circumstances. Point one, suicide happens when we confront a pain that seems worse than death. Secondly, though, important to the biblical text, important to the biblical witness, suicide is a sin, we have compassion for it. But suicide is a sin because every life is valuable. Yes, we want to have compassion. Yes, we want to have understanding. But we absolutely insist that there's a better way. Suicide is a sin. Why? Well, remember the sixth commandment. God said, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. We are not to murder other people. But we're also not to murder ourselves. Uh, that's, what, that's what suicide is. It is a form of, of self-murder. We don't have the right to end life. God forbids it. Why? Because every life is valuable to him. God made all of us in, in his image, young or old, black or white, male or female, we are all endowed with remarkable dignity, remarkable worth. We matter to God. And so in Job 10, we read that God's hands shaped us in the womb. In Psalm 139, we read that he knit us together in our mother's womb. In that same Psalm, we read that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something profoundly beautiful inherent within every single human soul. Life is valuable. And because life is valuable, suicide is a sin. We don't have the right to take the lives of others. We don't have the right to take our own lives either. And so we should hear, especially if, if we've struggled with this, not my voice, but God's voice saying, when it comes to suicide, do not do it. Do not do it. You may feel that you'd be better off, but that's a lie. Like all sins, suicide overpromises and underdelivers every single time. You may feel like other people in your life would be better off if you weren't here. And that is also a lie. The pain and devastation and sorrow that suicide brings is 
poison to those who are left alive. You may feel that you have no other choice, but that's also a lie. Suicide is irreversible. There's no coming back. And God promises there's a better way. When we're tempted to sin, there's always a way of escape. You may hear this point and think that you're the one life that isn't that valuable, but that's also a lie. Your life matters to God. And your mind may deny it and your heart may refuse it, but it's still true. It's still true. Your life matters to God. So what should you do? Well, it's powerful. (laughs) The research shows that there's hope. Once again, we get a bunch of clever people in the room, give them millions of dollars, and they come up with things the Bible has already told us. (laughs) The research tells us that there's hope. The number one thing that helps those who are struggling with the temptation towards suicide is exactly what you have here in this church, namely community. To have people who know you, to have people who see you, to have people who understand what's going on in your life. When you have these struggles, there's often this kind of shame, this shame that we want to push against here in this church, as Rob prayed earlier in his, in his congregational prayer. This shame that comes alongside with it, we want to push back against that. We want to bring these struggles into the light. The research shows that that's the most powerful thing you can do in order to overcome these temptations. Share them with a community. So even after this very service, Here in the sanctuary, Rob will be up front in our fellowship hall. Tom will be up front. Come forward and talk to us. Come forward and talk to us if you're struggling with this. Come forward and talk to us if this sermon has touched a nerve because, you know, loved ones have, have struggled with this. And, you know... If you don't come forward and then later in the week think that you should have, think that you should have then come forward then. <laughs> Give us a call. Find all our information on the website. We're absolutely available. God has given us this thing called community. Suicide happens when we confront pain that seems worse than death. Suicide is sin. It's sin because every life is valuable. But, last point for the morning. If you've lost a loved one to suicide... I want you to hear me say, suicide is a sin, but suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Because Jesus is alive. Have you lost someone to suicide? You know, throughout its history, the church um, has unfortunately and often wandered from the teachings of the Bible and come up with all sorts of crazy superstitious nonsense. And unfortunately, one of those things that's persisted to this day is this belief that you sometimes hear that that suicide is is the unforgivable sin. This belief seems to be based on the idea that uh, suicide leaves no room for repentance. You know, if your last act was one of self-murder, then how can you expect to go to heaven? Well, I (laughs) I want to be as really as clear as I possibly can be. The view that suicide is unforgivable... Wrong, false, incorrect, hogwash, balderdash. I'll stop there before I start to say something inappropriate, okay? Uh, That is not true. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin, and I've got two reasons for you. Both reasons are the gospel, but I'm going to say it twice, right? First reason suicide is not the unforgivable sin is because, friends, you can't out-sin the grace of God. You can't out-sin that. You just can't do it. You can try, 
<laughs> Sometimes we do. But it cannot be done. His grace is deeper than the depths of our sin, and it's higher than the heights of your rebellion, and it's longer than the distance you can run, and it's broader than any space you'd put between you and him. Grace is excessive. It is outrageous. It is prodigal. It is extreme. We would even feel uncomfortable about the fact that God will forgive anyone for anything. He forgives homicide. He forgives infanticide. And you better believe that there's grace for suicide. Can I send the grace of God? Secondly, suicide is not the unforgivable sin because this whole timing thing, you know, died before they repented, that, it's just a complete misnomer. It's a complete red herring. It's an absolute distraction. Our di- last act, yeah, <laughs> our last act is not the decisive moment in salvation. So let's imagine, okay? We leave service and uh, I'm, I'm going home and I'm driving on the beltway, okay? And uh, someone cuts me off and I honk my horn and I yell some things and I accompany it with some hand gestures, okay? Um, and then in my distracted rage, I drive straight into the back of someone in front of me and I die on the spot without thinking another thought. You're not gonna sit around and say, ah, James. The last thing he did was give someone the finger. (laughs) And because that was his last act, surely he's not now in heaven, right? Now, why are you not going to say that? You're not going to say that because you know the gospel. You know the gospel. And you know that our last acts on earth are not the decisive moments in salvation. Christ's last acts on earth are the decisive moments of salvation. That's what saves sinners like us. We believe that at the cross, Jesus gave his life, not as a suicide, but as a sacrifice, so that those who have faith in him can be forgiven, full, and free, no matter what their sins are, even the very worst. That the moment you put your trust in Christ, you know that moment? All your sin, past, present, future, forgiven. You are as justified now as you are ever going to be. You will never be more acceptable in God's sight than you are right now because you're united to Christ. He looks upon you right now and he says, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. And when you sin, he says, you're my beloved daughter, you're my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now let's talk about this. Christ's last acts, the decisive moment of salvation. We are forgiven, full and free, past, present, future. We celebrate Jesus because he has made us clean. And for those of you who've lost a loved one to suicide, don't you love that, that we're not done yet? Don't you love that there's more? That Jesus didn't just die, but he also rose again, and that those who have faith in him share in this life as well. Um, a Christian can commit suicide. But if they do their story won't end in death. They'll be forgiven full and free, and then they'll receive eternal life. Suicide may be their final act, but it will not get the final word. The final word for every Christian is life, no matter how they died. And this is true even if their death came through suicide. So, of course, suicide's a sin. And of course, we don't want suicide to happen. If you ever get a call from someone who seems suicidal, and if it seems in any way imminent, call 911 immediately. 
That, that's what you do, just practically, that's what you do if you get that call. We don't play, we don't hang around, we don't wait, we call 911 immediately and we deal with whatever mess that creates later. But if you find yourself this morning not worried about what you do, but worried about looking back to the past, a loved one who maybe took their own life, just know in Christ they can be forgiven. In Christ they'll rise again. Grace covers every sin. God's grace isn't scuppered by timing. Suicide happens when we confront pain that seems worse than death. Suicide is a sin because you're valuable. The suicide's not the unforgivable sin because Jesus rose again. In the end, uh, Matthew Wireman didn't take his own life. Uh, he continues to struggle with this trial. Uh, the gospel didn't remove that, but the gospel did do something else. He st- describes how in the pain he found a new presence, that when life gets black, he said, God meets us in the darkness. God meets us in the darkness. So whatever our experiences with suicide this morning, we want to walk together with each other and with this presence, with Jesus who is alive. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, on a topic like this, we have a full range of experiences in in a congregation our size. We have those who know the struggle firsthand, who've heard the whispers, who've even tried to take their own lives. We have those who've lost loved ones, we have those who are, are terrified because loved ones have made an attempt. And then we've, we, we have those, Lord, who have, who have no experience of this and, and aren't really sure what to say or think about it. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the guidance of your word that understands pain and understands temptation, but that warns us away that suicide is a sin for the disarming reason that our lives are valuable. And most of all, we thank you for the gospel. The suicide is not unforgivable. We can't out the grace of God. The decisive moment in salvation is not our last acts on earth, but your last acts on earth. So make us a community, Lord, that walks together through all of life, through the highs and the lows, through the ups and the downs, through the joys and even the sorrows. Would this be a community that is marked by your grace? And because of that, would it be a beautiful witness to the world around. We pray these things in the perfect name of Christ. Amen.